Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. And I'm so fortunate to have with me cinematographer Anka Malatinska, whose work you might have seen in past TV series, such as I Know What You Did Last Summer, just last year, along with Delilah on OWN and Monsterland over at Hulu. Um, She now has her latest project, which is coming out on a weekly basis leading up to the series finale um, next week, Pretty Little Liars Original Sin, which you can catch on HBO Max. Anka, thanks so much for chatting with me. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. Really excited to have my morning coffee with you. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'd love to start at the beginning of your involvement in this project. How were you brought in to get involved in Pretty Little Liars? Were those initial conversations with the show's directors? Was it with the creators, Roberto and Lindsay? Um, And what sort of made you want to be part of this project? Um, well, I'll answer that uh, in reverse. And first, I'll say, you know, I think what really deeply made me want to be part of this project was when I, um, uh, and it's, it's funny, because I don't know if I got to see the daily stills or the dailies before I signed on, but I signed on and then I saw the daily stills. And I was like, wow, they're making something really spectacular. So the story is that I actually came on to the project after the first two episodes, which were shot by the pilot cinematographer joe collins um and they were you know what um so the team from pretty little liars came to my agent i think they were you know very much on the lookout of looking for a dp who had shot in the genre who had horror experience um and who could very quickly bring that to the table um so when we first talked it was like um you know i felt like we clicked immediately I I just knew I was going to get the job offer. And, uh, you know, I remember speaking to um, our executive producer's assistant, um, who said later on that when he talked to me, like that he was like, that when they found me, he was like, he knew I was going to be the one. Um, and I think a lot of that came from having just shot, I know what you did last summer, I know what you did last summer was um, on Amazon, just like starting had started to screen. Um, you know, and they and they wanted somebody who could like really seamlessly take over and understand the visual language of horror. Um, and I talked to Roberto and Lindsay and Lisa Soper, who was the pilot director. And um, I don't know, I felt like it was a love fest immediately. And we we clicked and we went off to the woods and made a beautiful thing. Yeah, I wanted to expand on, you know, your past work with I Know What You Did Last Summer. And it's funny you mentioned that because obviously they're very different stories, Pretty Little Liars and I Know What You Did Last Summer. But if you just look on the surface, they're very similar series. Each have, you know, a group of young people um, trying to investigate, you know, who the killer is, or it's very much in that slasher horror realm. Can you speak to how working on I Know What You Did Last Summer helped inform your work on Pretty Little Liars? Did you find a lot of transitional skills or techniques that you used on Pretty Little Liars that you found to be 
um, influential you know, from. I know what you did last summer. I, I would actually expand it back accords into Monsterland. Monsterland is the series that really kind of seeped me, you know, at a, at a practical level, at the level of actually practicing the cinematography of horror. Um, you know, Monsterland was such an opportunity to work with directors who were very much in the horror genre and very much, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of singular vision directors, which I think really helped me a lot in Pretty Little Liars, because Pretty Little Liars, we were referencing like, you know, it's a, it's a horror series that then like, references every horror movie out there. And as we're referencing these movies, we're also bringing in the visual language of those movies. Like, you know, if you've been watching Pretty Little Liars, in every episode, there's like some sort of reference, you know, whether it's to Scream or to Carrie, or, you know, and then we're taking those visual elements from those classic horror movies and incorporating it into our series. You know, I think, I think where I know what you did last summer, you know, as a cinematographer, kind of, you know, at a technical and practical level where it helped me, um, you know, it was my first ensemble series and ensemble series, I mean, a series where we are following the stories of five characters and following five characters versus one or two, you know, is very different in the way you construct a scene, construct a shot list, you know, how, how do you, you know, make these group conversations between five people natural or interesting? Um, and I think both Pretty Little Liars and I Know What You Did Last Summer had a bit of their own approach to that. I did find it really kind of funny that like in Pretty Little Liars, we have a carnival in episode seven. And in I Know What You Did Last Summer, we have a carnival in episode seven. It's like, you know, the the, the horror pattern. And yeah. of course, there's a carnival in a horror show because there has to be a carnival because, you know, that's such a classic horror trope of like the scary thing happening in the carnival or like the killer pursuing them. Um, so yeah, no, I, I feel like, you know, I'm always using all the experience that I've acquired, you know, on the next thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, another similarity between these two is that they're both based on pre-existing IP. I know what you did last summer, obviously based on the probably now cult film from the nineties <laughs> and Pretty Little Liars has its own franchise and empire of, you know, of a fan base. Um, and I want to ask you about that because w was there this, I guess, pressure you had in making sure that you do justice to the fans since you're coming into this project, unlike other projects you've done before, which already had a built-in fan base and just a massive amount of viewers that you knew were ready to watch this series when it first came out. Um, was there a lot of, I guess, diving into the past Pretty Little Liars series or the original um, and helping with your work on this new spinoff series? Um, you know, I feel like it's funny, I feel like spinoffs can be very dangerous, you know, because you do have that pre-existing audience, and they can be very disappointed. And that that was honestly the experience with I Know What You Did Last Summer, a lot of audience members were really disappointed that, you know, that the writers actually took the story in a very different direction than the original movie. Um, you know, and at the same time, like, and, and I, I personally 
for me, I love that because I think it's important, while it's important to get inspired by the original, we don't want to keep remaking the exact same thing over and over again, or or that will be boring for the audience too. So it's like you have to hit this like happy medium, which I feel like in many ways, Pretty Little Liars is really hitting. You know, there's a lot of reviews that like it's a spinoff that actually really works. Um, it's been very well received. But I also feel like a big part of that has been that that we actually did go in a very different direction than the original series at a visual level and at a craft level and at how seeped it is in the visual language of horror. Um, you know, I feel like Pretty Little Liars original sin really kind of took the show to another place, you know, while keeping kind of the soul of the original kind of fabric of the story of the friendship of the of the lies, of the mistrust, of the twists and turns, like that's still intact there. Um, but I do, um, you know, and I can't say that I felt pressure to, you know, that I felt the pressure to deliver the same show. I, I thought what we were making was so spectacularly beautiful and modern and, you know, in, in many ways ahead of its curve, that it was much more exciting to me as a cinematographer from a visual perspective than the original series. Yeah, I want to expand on that because I know I did read somewhere that you and the show's directors had that conversation or were very adamant about creating a different visual language in this series versus the original. Can you expand on what those conversations were like that you had with um, Roberto or Lindsay or the episodes directors in mapping out that creative vision to contrast it visually from the original? Well, I think a lot of it was really grounded, um, uh, you know, in the, the first step of the grounding of the visuals is the production design. And Neil Patel, our production designer, did such a spectacular job creating this, like, you know, what what we all called a nondescript vintage time period that is still you know, set in present day, all of our characters have cell phones, they have computers, they have cameras, but in Millwood, Pennsylvania, where the story takes place, you know, like, the town is creepy, the buildings are falling apart, the school is old, it's underlit, it's dark, <laughs> um, and uh, the cars are vintage. So it was very much, you know, and I, and I feel like very much that like, you know, if you look at Roberto's work as a a showrunner and a creator, you know, it very closely, you know, if anything, like we were creating a Roberto show, all of Roberto's shows, you know, have an extraordinary kind of visual um, framework that they work with, uh, within whether it's Riverdale or Sabrina, you know, like they really like this team really goes out of its way to take care of the visuals to make sure that the visuals are special. And that these worlds are like, you know, they're, they're their own worlds and Millwood, Pennsylvania, that was shot in the Catskills in New York and several different little towns, you know, um, uh, like if you're watching the show, it's its own place, unlike any other. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears and talk about working as a DP in television, um, as opposed to film, because I would imagine it it's more complicated because as opposed to a film where you're working with just one director on a television show, 
there are maybe several different directors throughout a season working on a different episode. And this obviously features the talents of several different directors. Um, how challenging is that on the part of the DP in needing to sort of, I guess, starting from square one every couple of weeks with a new director in terms of establishing that trust and communication? Um, well, one, I, I want to say that I feel like I've been very lucky that most, for the most part, I've had, you know, really spectacular collaborators. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, I think, I think working, you know, wor- and I can speak to working in television versus working in indie features. It's, it's a very different world. Um, you know, it's a, it's a much more fast paced environment. It's a much more demanding environment. You have many, many more bosses, you have to move quickly, you have to think quickly, and yet you still have to deliver visuals that are very, very high level. Um, You know, pretty little liars um, at that, like, and feel like I've done a lot of challenging projects. You know, I often hear people say, oh, you know, this show I worked on, it was so easy and so nice. I'm like, where are these easy, nice shows? Because yeah. um, I've done, you know, difficult shows that are full of nights and, you know, and really kind of dense stories that require us, you know, while they may like look like a page, it requires the coverage of a lot of beats. Um on Pretty Little Liars, you know, when I took over, I was the the only cinematographer, so I wasn't alternating with anybody, um, which also meant that when I, like, I am prepping while I'm shooting, I'm shooting, you know, uh, when I'm shooting, I'm working, oh, an average of 70 to 75 hours a week, you know, and then on top of that, on a Saturday, I would meet with a director and prep, you know, and, and, and the difference really is, you know, on a series... 10 episodes or eight episodes, 50 pages each, you know, that's 500 pages of material that you are tracking, that you're reading, that you're following, that you're like, okay, this happened in this episode and this visual progression versus a movie, which is 90 to 120 pages. So it's like, you know, just the volume of the information that you have to absorb, you know, and then also, you know, I would say in a movie, you have one director, they're your main boss in a TV series, you are collaborating with incoming directors, but really the showrunners, the writers are the head creatives, you know, and you, you, while you are satisfying a director's directive for what shots they want, you also have to make sure and satisfy what the writers want and, you know, what the network wants. And, you know, I'll say that in streamers, a lot of the time with younger directors, um, what I find is, you know, they are, they are trying to control the cut by withholding certain coverage, mm-hmm. you know, which can become a point of contention with the showrunners. Um, you know, and I, and I like, while I understand the directors, like, you know, I don't want them to cut into close-ups here. Um, the issue with a lot of, you know, and, and this was with a lot of TV shows and I would say most TV shows that I worked on, but with pretty little liars, especially, you know, our scripts ran really long. They were 50 pages, you know, on the page, but in the first cut, they were 70, 80, 90 minutes. And, you know, and you're really, so that, that editing process is really, 
it's really like the third rewrite. It's the third major draft of the storyline. You know, you write, you shoot it, and then you edit it. And that's where it becomes the story. And it is, you know, and this is like my like little tidbit for all the directors out there. Like, this is why those close-ups are so important as boring as they sometimes get to us is that they allow us to trim the story down. Exactly. You know, they allow you to, to cut out the dialogue, to reroute the dialogue, and to basically condense material. And it's like, I worked with Melissa Leo on a TV show um, years ago, and she would say that, you know, TV is like threading the needle at 500 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And it really, like we are, we're all threading the needle and looking for that magical, spectacular moment of human truth at 500 miles an hour. And that's why, you know, that idea of more material and more coverage, you know, sometimes actually works really well in this medium, because it gives you more chances of capturing that magical moment, you know, that then translates as the real truth or the real soul of the story, the, the right performance and the right lighting and the right moment, you know, in the right relationship to the rest of the edit. Yeah, well, you pulled it off. And it's definitely a success, the series. And that only leads me to ask you about the future of Pretty Little Liars. I know that the last three episodes are coming out later this week, um, but this show's already incredibly successful. Do you know if there's been any conversations about a season two? Have you been approached or? I know any? nothing at this okay. point. You know, I know nothing at this point, you know, and, and, and from past experience, I like, you know, I know, I know that it was written, you know, with the thought of a season two. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers, but yeah, you know, like the, the story can definitely continue. Um, but I actually, but I, I don't, I don't know. And oftentimes what I've learned is that you don't know till after the show airs and that, you know, like with Monsterland, we didn't get picked up for a season two. Um, and it was mostly due, you know, to the fact that Disney and Hulu merged that year and got rid of original programming. I know that HBO is also like HBO Max is changing their structure. Yeah. Um, I hope we get a season two. I hope it's not another like, you know, this company is buying out this company. So right. we're going to drop all of our material and start from scratch. <laughs> right. It's scary. The news recently with HBO yeah. Max, but yeah. I think. Pretty Little Liars has proved to be an asset for um, the for service. Them. So crossing fingers about a mm -hmm. season two. Um, but switching gears onto something that we know for sure to expect from you possibly later this year is The Listener, um, directed by Steve Buscemi, starring Tessa Thompson. Um, can you share what we have to look forward to in this project, your work, but also um, what the film's about? Um, it's like I was, I was telling somebody the other day that, um, the film is about everything and nothing at the same time. And they were like, oh, it's like a Steve Buscemi movie. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's about everything and nothing at the same time. Um, it's actually about a crisis hotline, um, worker and the story follows a night of her work. Um, and through the phone calls that she's getting, we learn about her life. You know, it's a, it's a slow art film, you know, that really delves, um, you know, into a lot of the issues that I like, it delves into a lot of the issues that I feel like were unearthed for people by the pandemic. It doesn't directly speak 
you know, to, to the pandemic, it's kind of, you know, there's one character who was, who like is on a phone call and he got out of prison and then he comments and then COVID happened and how weird that was for them. Um, I kind of, you know, coming from Poland, um, coming from Eastern European cinema, I am not afraid of difficult films that, you know, like really delve into the darkness of the human soul. Um, what I loved about this film was that it was, um, it was like an Eastern European film set in Los yeah. Angeles, California, you know, and it kind of like, and it also like, I feel like in that way it reflects you know, a post-pandemic world where suddenly in LA, like the story doesn't doesn't have to be light and fluffy and happy and we don't have to pretend like everything's good. But, you know, we're in LA in the dead of the night and then at the end of the film, we go outside and it's gray and it's overcast and it's kind of a completely different experience of Los Angeles. And I feel like a very honest experience of of human beings, you know, like, like, it's, it's about isolation and how we like live in these little isolated boxes. Um, you know, and it was we we shot the film in six days. Wow. Um, while Tessa Thompson was on hiatus from Westworld. She is so impressive. Um, you know, to on your hiatus week, memorize a 90 page script and shoot a film for you know, <laughs> almost for fun, yeah. for fun and for craft and for art. And it was a really, you know, I, it was, it was one of those really special artistic, really close collaborations. I loved working with Steve. Um, we really quickly got on the same page and, and it was such an honor to have Steve be like, I don't need to look at the viewfinder on I love what you do. Keep doing it. Wow. I don't need to check the shot. Just set it up. I, you know, after the first set, uh, a couple of setups, but it's a quiet film. You know, I remember somebody asking me, um, what did you guys, did you guys do like all sorts of crazy techno crane shots and crazy stuff because it's one person in a room. Um, and that's really not what the film was about. It was really important for Steve that like the, the primary focus of the film is the performance is allowing the actor to perform. Um, you know, he actually, like he was resistant to things like Steadicam because for him as a performer, he was like, you know, I always like, it's hard to like emote in front of this machine. And I just, you know, I want to strip it back down to its bare bones to allowing you know, this performance to take center stage over camera tricks or, you know, so it's quiet, it's subtle, it's very beautiful. We shot it on the Panavision DXL large format camera. Um, and unlike, are you there? Oh, you looked yeah. frozen for a second. Yeah. Unlike um, on a television series, um, and this is one big difference, I could use these really old lenses. I basically, like, I went to Panavision and I, like, you know, they were like, we have these old lenses no one's using. And I was like, great, let's, like, use the stuff that no one's using. Um, and they were these medium formats still lenses called lights lenses that were rehoused for motion picture. Um, now, why I would never use them on a television series is because they're all different sizes. They all have funky backings. They all need adapters, you know, and that's like, you know, that's one of those differences on a TV series. I don't have time for that. 
you know, whereas on a little indie feature, we can use weird lenses because we have a little bit more time for it. Right. Um, and the lenses were very like just beautiful and soft and, you know, made it very easy to create a very beautiful, subtle, soft look. I love that. So there's like more room for experimentation and it's so cool how right after coming off of this huge, you know, HBO max series that has a huge fan base, you then switch gears over to a very small indie quieter Mm -hmm. film. It just speaks to the diversity and projects that you take on. Um, And it's so reassuring to hear that Steve's directing talents haven't changed through the years and it'll be just what we expect based on his past filmography, which is pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Um, And it's also worth noting, I know he's done a lot of television over the years, but this I think will be his first film in quite some time. So that's exciting too, to look forward to also. Yeah, no, I feel like his soul is really there. That's great. Um, well, Anka, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Congrats again on Pretty Little Liars, the final three episodes coming out later this week, and also The Listener, which is sure to be great. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Hollywood Podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind. Thanks for listening.